This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, where the town is already emptying out for Thanksgiving. The students and politicians are headed home for the holidays, which is one more reason those of us who live here are thankful. Today on Sunrise, Florida politics correspondent Noah Pransky has an exclusive report that should cause some soul-searching at the DOT and the governor's office over the snafu at SunPass. The census begins in the spring, and Florida is one of only five states that has failed to set up a statewide committee to help ensure everyone is counted. There are billions of dollars at stake. A new group backed by the national medical marijuana industry has been created in Florida to fight constitutional amendments that would allow adults to use pot without going through the hoops to get a medical marijuana card. Now that two Florida Supreme Court justices have been promoted to the federal courts, the governor has to replace them, and a nominating commission meets for the first time today to begin the process. Our studio guest is Dominic Calabro of Florida Tax Watch, the pesky budget and spending watchdog that's celebrating 40 years in business. He talks about, let's just say, a lot. I'll explain later. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and the stories of two Florida men who screwed up while the police were watching. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, November 25th. Later this week, the Florida Department of Transportation is expected to release an audit about the meltdown at SunPass, the state's automatic turnpike toll collection system. But Florida politics reporter Noah Pransky got his hands on that document over the weekend, and he says there's plenty of blame to go around for the SunPass debacle. So anyone who's had SunPass recognizes a year plus ago, the system went down when the state tried a simple six-day upgrade. It was supposed to be simple for drivers, but behind the scenes, it was obviously complicated. And it was further complicated by the fact that the state's contractor, Conduent, totally bungled the job. Well, we pressured the governor, then Governor Scott, uh, at the time last year to investigate, to take some action. Months later, he finally initiated an inspector general's audit. Well, that audit took more than a year, but we finally have it in our hands today. Um, This was leaked to me this weekend by someone in Tallahassee. I requested it last week when I heard it was done. But the state didn't turn it over. I think they were probably waiting for maybe the quiet Thanksgiving week and nobody to be paying attention. But what this audit says is that a series of failures, first by FDOT in awarding the contract, then by FDOT and its engineering contractors to oversee conduit, and finally by conduit cutting corners and making one mistake after another. That's what led to what we now know is you know, almost a two-year-long nightmare both on the technological and customer service side for SunPass drivers. So the state can't just blame this on the the vendor? No. There were failures for the state when they awarded the contract. There were failures in how they wrote the contract. And there were certainly failures in oversight. Things that should have been in writing were not in writing. Things that should have been put in for accountability were never initiated. And then there was just a whole series of testing failures that were somehow overlooked um, and, you know, one of the other things that I've been pressing first Governor Scott, now Governor DeSantis on for the better part of the last year and a half is what are you going to do for all these contractors who failed to do their job and oversee conduit? We know conduit was penalized a tiny bit by Governor Scott and then a little more significantly by Governor DeSantis. And the state's going to cancel their contract and rebid it again. But the big question for me uh, remains at this point, what are you going to do for the contract, for the consulting firms that should have caught these mistakes, should have insisted on better performance from the contractor conduit? We're going to wait and see. They're politically connected firms. So, so far, both Scott and DeSantis have been very hesitant to ever criticize them. What is the logical next step now? 
I think for the governor's office, they're going to they're going to they've had this report. Now it's a matter of FDOT and governor getting together and saying, do we need further discipline for anyone who is negligent in this process? Have we cleaned our own house enough in the last year and a half to make sure these problems don't happen again? And I think they need to, to look deep and say, you know, do we need to separate from some of these companies that we've been using for a very long time? I don't know the answer to these, um, but I think they require another investigation and another conversation in the governor's mansion. You can read Noah's full report at floridapolitics.com. The U.S. Census begins in the spring. That population count will determine how much federal money comes to Florida over the next decade and how many seats we have in the U.S. House of Representatives. As of now, there are only five states that have failed to honor a request from the Census Bureau to set up a complete count committee that creates public awareness campaigns encouraging people to fill out the questionnaires. And, of course, Florida is one of those five states. Dominic Calabro with Florida Tax Watch says that's kind of crazy when you consider just how much is at stake. This is incredibly important. First of all, Florida, uh, among all the 50 states, is either 49th or 50th when it comes to federal grants and aid, meaning we get screwed. Okay? Right. Cut to the chase. We get less. If we got the average amount, just the median, not more, not less, the midpoint, we'd be getting about $14.8 billion more a year in federal grants and aid that we should really lawfully be entitled to. There's 132 programs. That's for starters. But they use the decennial, the every 10-year census data. So in 2019, we're still, federal government's still using the 2010 census data to distribute money where Americans no longer live. We've got millions more people living in Florida and we're not getting the money to support them. In 2010, Florida was uh, shortchanged, undercounted, and omitted, according to the Census Bureau, 1,385,000 people. That's about just a little half the size of the Tampa Bay market, okay? That means two congressional seats that we were lawfully and properly entitled to that we didn't get, okay, for, for congressional reapportionment. Uh, two, it equates to about 15 to $20 billion over 10 years, meaning $1.5 billion on average to $2 billion since 2011 through 2020. Do you think Florida would benefit by having that in our early learning program, in our K-12 to help uh, the governor and legislature appropriate the money for our teachers and principals? Assuming, of course, it would go there. Well, yeah. You know Florida lawmakers have their own ideas. And they have to collectively bargain that, too. You know, that's another consideration. But let's first get the money so that they can argue about it later. Right now they can argue about it and not have the money. It doesn't do any good. And why is it important now? It's always important, but because of a lot of the national rhetoric and noise out there. Uh, Florida's a transient state to start with. We have a lot of homeless people. We also have a lot of undocumented. And the Constitution and law require you to count them and count them correctly and fully. And by not counting them, we hurt them. And we're going to have to provide a lot of services to them anyway. We should get the money to do this. Bills that would have established a statewide census committee in Florida died in the legislature. A spokeswoman for the governor, Ron DeSantis, told the Associated Press he does take the census seriously and is still reviewing what action should be taken to help get a full head count. There are three constitutional amendments being circulated in Florida now that would allow adults to use marijuana, and none of them may end up having enough signatures to make the ballot next year. But Janelle Irwin-Taylor with FloridaPolitics.com reports there is a new group called FARM, Floridians Against Recreational Marijuana, that is gearing up to oppose them. 
Farm has the backing of a national group called the Coalition for Medical Cannabis, and they claim legalizing the recreational use of weed will increase health care prices, increase costs on business, kill jobs, and increase the burden on taxpayers for the costs associated with recreational marijuana. They also claim mega marijuana corporate interests are backing one of those initiatives in Florida in hopes of transforming the state into another Oregon, California, or Colorado, where recreational use of marijuana is already legal. Farm has just filed their paperwork with the state, so it's too early to tell where all their money is going to be coming from. The Florida Supreme Court Judicial Nominating Commission holds a conference called today to start the process of replacing Justices Robert Luck and Barbara Lagoa. Last week, the U.S. Senate confirmed Luck and Lagoa to seats on the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta, so the governor gets to make two more picks to the Florida court. The Nominating Commission will eventually be interviewing the applicants before recommending anywhere from three to six finalists for each opening. The governor will then make the selection. DeSantis says he expects to fill the Supreme Court vacancies early next year. Next up on Sunrise, we'll talk with Dominic Calabro of Florida Tax Watch, a budget watchdog best known for its annual turkey list of special interest projects hidden away in the state budget. But there's much more to Tax Watch than turkeys. Maybe too much. Under normal circumstances, our interviews run five to seven minutes. But when you put two guys in the studio who've known each other for 40 years, well, we tend to babble. Here, in fact, is the conclusion of the interview. Our guest today on Sunrise, Dominic Calabro, president and CEO of Florida Tax Watch. Great to have you in the studio, Dom. Thanks, Rick. I don't want to two minutes. Two minutes. Let's see. It's uh, 20. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do that. I'm sorry to do that to you. I'm sorry, God Almighty. I, I knew it was more than two. I didn't think it was 20. Actually, that interview went on for 25 minutes. My holiday gift to you is that we've chopped it down considerably. That's next on Sunrise, right after we pay some bills. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Next on Sunrise, a conversation with Dominic Calabro, the director of Florida Tax Watch. Well, director is not the proper word, is it? It's president and CEO. Congratulations, Dominic. Two titles for one. I, yeah, I feel blessed. Chief bottle, bottle washer. So just what in the hell is Tax Watch? Florida Tax Watch is really the eyes and ears of the taxpayers of Florida. What that means is it's a fiscal, uh, nonpartisan, nonprofit government watchdog for a little uh, for 40 years now. Been watching how the, the state taxes its citizens, but probably spends as much or more time on how well it spends the money and make sure that the taxpayers of Florida get a good bang for the buck, improve the quality of service. So you don't think of, you think of Tax Watch like watching taxes, which we do, but we also are as much an advocate for the clean environment, an advocate for children services, an advocate for uh, good education, uh, an advocate for good university education, those kind of things. So we want to make sure that when we do spend the taxpayers' money, it's increasingly beneficial and more impactful to them. And, and in truth, Tax Watch is really not about taxes. It's about how the money is spent, right? The vast majority of it. Because frankly, we, we, we've done a lot of good work in the past on keeping taxes low and competitive. We don't really need to lower them a whole heck of a lot. The real thing is make sure we spend that money really wisely. And especially with a growing state, part of the reason why it was founded by great leaders and civic leaders like Phil Lewis and Ken Plant, leader, bipartisan, a Democrat and a Republican, was to make sure that Florida back in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, was a um, like an adolescent state. So 
the whole idea was how can you take the mindset of enterprise uh, and the business model and bring that to see that we spend money better, smarter, so we build a stronger, better state. Okay. Now, when you look at the state budget that we have today and where we started out, it has grown exponentially. Um, how has Tax Watch helped that not grow faster than it already has? Well, part of it is is, is in part by well, one of which we do this annual Turkey Watch. There's four things Tax Watch does that no one in the state nor in the country does. And as we do an annual budget turkey examination through the years, uh, I helped identify for Democratic and Republican governors little between three and four billion dollars that they've cut out of the budget because these are items that got funded outside the legislatively established uh, process. And uh, not, not a judgment on whether it's a good project or bad project, yeah. just whether they follow the rules. Yes, yeah, you follow the very rules you say you're going to set forth because if you don't, what happens is sometimes you'll spend a million dollars for uh, an activity and it may be questionable or even improper, but you can't stop it because you appropriated the money and they're legally entitled to it unless you have a otherwise lawful process that uh, is established to do that. Okay. Have you ever done a, a big picture look at the taxation to figure out why Florida is such a regressive state? Yeah, we're, we're regressive because, uh, first of all, state and local taxes by general, particularly state taxes, generally are relatively regressive with regard to income. It's just the nature. We've said that all, tax what you said it all the time, because we tax transactions, gasoline, you know, the from the excise tax on gasoline, cigarette, tobacco, the sin tax. Right. No matter to, how poor you are, you have to pay. Them. You're going you to pay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every everybody pays taxes in Florida. Yeah. Um, and there's no personal income tax. The biggest reason is there's no progressive personal income tax. But as um, a lot of folks have pointed out, um, Florida, you got to look at the total taxation in terms of federal and state combined. A federal taxism is historically has been, it's it's less so now, has been a progressive personal income tax. It's much less so because of the, the recent tax law change. But what we try to do in Florida um, and try to do even more of it is while we do have a big, big input, the, the sales and use tax taxes transactions in a very, very big way, like 75% to 80% of our taxes is based on sales and use and transaction taxes, okay? But we exempt more of life's necessities, groceries, medicine, uh, residential electricity, residential rents, um, prescription drugs, a lot of things that individuals use that lessen the regressivity uh, uh, of that tax. But uh, so we're really now uh, kind of, if I can get back to the to the play, while we are formed 40 years ago, we've always looked at that and we've tried to say, how can we improve the competitiveness of our tax system to encourage people to come here, more businesses and people come here. Is that a good but thing? We, I mean, we, we're growing fast enough on our own. And uh, I remember in the 80s, everyone was concerned about there's too much growth. We well, can't we, handle this. And now yeah. everyone's doing growth, growth, growth. It's like lessons learned from the past. Nah. No, I think the thing about growth is be smart. I mean, it, it, you can. You don't want to go too much. You don't want to go too little. If you don't grow, you're, you're you're regressing. Let me tell you, the problems of growth, as challenging as they are, are a hell of a lot better than the problems the of regression, of yeah. stagnation and regression. I mean, just ask Detroit's really from all that. Uh, so many other communities, St. Louis, and so many other communities. So the key, though, is we've got a lot of challenges. We're doing really great in so many ways. And I think the growth should be steady and sustainable. So you have the infrastructure, you have the, the clean water, the clean air, the things that make it a great place to live. And frankly, as I get older, I really do like to have slower growth, but I do want to have growth because I want something to, to, to be there to continue to see growth. I've gone to my universities, Florida National University, uh, Broward College, and even FSU here in Tallahassee. And I go back, I look at it and go, oh my God, I wouldn't recognize it. Like when I went to FIU, um, 
back in the late uh, 70s. I go back now, it's like a whole different world. I went there with only one South Campus. I had to travel every day, 37 and a half miles each way, you know, walking uphill and in the snow both ways, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 40, really, 40 years makes such a slight it's, difference, it's, doesn't it? It's like 45 years ago. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's beautiful, but, you know, there's so many of our institutions. I remember talking with Gus Turnbull so many years ago, who's a provost at Florida State University. Uh, God rest his soul, passed away, but he was a really, really great leader. And he said, you know, we're only going to be able to have two research institutes. We now have three. We're probably going to have four. Uh, Florida State has now moved up from, you know, outside the 25 into top 18 uh, uh, institutions in the country based on News, News and World Report. So we're beginning to see, and yet we don't provide as much financial support as, as some of the others, like Pitt's, uh, Penn State, uh, right. Pitt, Pitt University of Pittsburgh, and so on, and others. But it's, I saw uh, Pr- President John Thrasher, FSU, talk yesterday about that. And I think it's a good thing. Taxwood is helping to say, look, here are things. Let's focus on those programs that we can be preeminent in, as uh, uh, our, our Chancellor Marshall Kreiser, former chairman of TaxWatch, uh, has pointed out. So, you know, we talk about former Chancellor Marshall Kreiser and others. We have, we were formed so 40 years ago. Uh, we say that Florida TaxWatch, is, which is experiencing, celebrating its 40th anniversary, four decades, it's incredible that it existed and stayed around that long through all different political administrations, Democrat, Republicans, and soon they'll be, you know, eventually Democrats again. But it's been built on the shoulders of giants, uh, men and more recently women that have cared deeply about Florida. I want to make sure that there's a group that's a bird dog, guide dog, watchdog, not a lap dog, that's intellectually honest, that it uses good sound research and good principles to make sure that, hey, when there's not a, quote unquote, a political appetite to restore the Everglades, we said, you know, nonsense, let's do that anyway. Now we have a governor that wants to. So now when someone wants to, let's do it effectively and impactfully. When they don't, let's prompt them to do what they ought to do. And tax systems are also changing dramatically because of the internet, the World Wide Web. Right. Talk to me about e-fairness. What's going on with that in Florida? Well, e-fairness is, is something Texas has been pushing for. Basically, it's been on the books. Uh, it's been legislative required since the we, we changed from a, a limited sales tax to a general sales and use tax. But um, e- e-fairness is collecting the sales tax, it's the use tax on remote sellers. When people sell things from out of state or out of the country into Florida, and uh, there's probably 2 to $3 billion a year that's not collected. We know in the short term that we could collect about $700 million. Amazon, for example, finally has a footprint in Florida. So they have to pay the tax. They have to. Uh, but a lot of their sellers within them or resellers within them still have not been been paying. So what, what e-fairness is – is uh, based on the particularly the, the Supreme Court decision Wayfair issued in June of 2018 now said, look, it's not simply a federal issue. It's a federal and state. 43 um, of the 45 states that have a sales and use tax now capture uh, the sales and use tax through e-fairness in some manner. Florida should, and we can do is right now by not collecting it, two things are happening. We're putting our own people, our own small business, brick and mortar, our own employees uh, you know, over a million employees in Florida at competitive disadvantage of as much as 7 or 8% of the cost of goods and services. Plus, we're losing hundreds of millions annually, probably $700 million the first year, up to 2 to $3 billion annually, that we could provide an early learning, kindergarten through 12th grade education, teacher salaries, principals, uh, con- uh, doing things to adjust sea level rises and improve water restoration in the Everglades. So really, really important things. But probably to get that done, we can do two good things. We can collect that. And also not collecting it, we're putting a lot of individual taxpayers who unknowingly or sometimes knowingly are not 
collecting and remitting it. And so the liabilities on them, we want to remove the liability from Florida's small taxpayers to these big remote sellers. Let them collect it and remit it on their behalf. So they're honoring the law, the rule of law, and at the same time, we're collecting hundreds of millions of dollars. Probably politically, Rick, we're going to have to, and it's probably a good thing to lower some other taxes, business rent tax being one. The other one, which we like too, is, and Texas is a big proponent of, is also finding what we could do to reduce the communication service tax. What's that? That's a tax on telephones, cell phones. Cable. And, and cable. And it's a very regressive tax because it falls more heavily on those of low and fixed income. So that's kind of, but again, that's an example of what in 40 years, tax which is kind of, is very much at the cutting edge to look at, hey, we've been there like a long time before most others have been, not only in taxation, but even in spending areas. Uh, Dave Lawrence's big, big effort in early learning. Why were we there? We were there in the late 80s, early 1990s because tax was a scientific research institute. We saw the science. We said, oh, how does the science affect brain development? And not brain development, but kids learning. And if they don't learn, they're going to cost us more through remediation and, and having kids uh, get left back. And maybe they don't ever learn at all. If you get a bad teacher for three years in a row, that kid's out to lunch for a really long time. So tax watch, you know, is, is seen as, well, it's not just looking out for taxpayers. Again, it's a steward for good environment, good education, good health care for all uh, people. And and that's really what we're going to be celebrating December 2nd and 3rd at Palm Beach. And it's going to be a fantastic event. We're not only going to look backwards, but more importantly, we're looking at what are we doing for the next 40 years. And I think the next 40 years, next three, two, three, four, five years from now especially, we'll be focusing on the environment and making sure we really think through how we get to raise teacher salaries at a competitive level, be fair to all, and really focus something that Tax Watch does besides the turkeys. We have a productivity awards for state employees, unlike anything else in the country. We recognize reward excellence. We'll get more of it. We want to continue to see how that can be replicated. Our guest today on Sunrise, Dominic Calabro, President and CEO of Florida Tax Watch. Great to have you in the studio, Dom. Your calendar of events today, well, aides to Governor Ron DeSantis, Attorney General Ashley Moody, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, and Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas meet at 9 o'clock on the lower level of the Capitol building. They'll be discussing issues in advance of the December 3rd Cabinet meeting. The Florida Commission for the Transportation Disadvantaged meets in Tallahassee at 9 a.m. to talk about budget-related issues. Staff members for Senator Marco Rubio will hold mobile office hours at the Frostproof Chamber of Commerce at 9 a.m. and the Madison County Library at 2 p.m. Attorney General Ashley Moody will be in at Coral Gables City Hall at 9.30 to talk about a holiday consumer protection guide. Florida Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Lois Frankel, and Donna Shalala will hold a media conference call to criticize Donald Trump's policies in advance of his rally Tuesday night in Broward County. The Duval County Legislative Delegation meets at 1.30 in Jacksonville City Hall, preparing for the 2020 session, which begins January 14th. U.S. Congresswoman Kathy Castor will be visiting Feeding Tampa Bay's headquarters at 1.30 to talk about issues relating to fighting hunger. Chief U.S. District Judge Mark Walker will hold a telephone hearing at 3 this afternoon in a suit challenging a state law that requires candidates who are in the same party as the governor to appear first on the ballot. The state wants to delay his ruling while the case is being appealed. A meet-and-greet event begins at 6.30 tonight on the campus of Edward Waters University for Democrat Donna Deegan, who is trying to unseat U.S. Representative John Rutherford next year in Northeast Florida's Congressional District No. 4. And the group Latinos for Trump will hold an event at the Miami Marriott Dadeland that will include Trump campaign senior advisors Mercedes Schlapp and John Pence as they prepare for the rally in Broward Tuesday night. And time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man. Faster than a speeding bullet, dumber than a box of rocks. 
A Florida man with a need for speed gets a quick trip to the Pinellas County Jail. Police in Clearwater say 20-year-old Connor Michael Prolica of Tampa was driving on the Courtney Campbell Causeway when he gunned the engine and tried to entice another motorist into a race, accelerating to 124 miles per hour. Unfortunately for him, the other driver was a Clearwater cop. He's been charged with racing on a highway, which is a misdemeanor, but he also violated parole on previous charges of grand theft and possession of a controlled substance, which are both felonies. Finally, a Florida man is busted at police headquarters in Gainesville after praying in the lobby. Well, at least that's what he called it. 22-year-old James Lee Jacquez was waiting to speak to the officer at the front desk when the cop and two civilian employees say he began masturbating. When an officer confronted the man, he told them he was praying to his penis. He's charged with disturbing the peace and was taken to the Alachua County Seminary, by which we mean jail. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. Join us again tomorrow, but we won't be here on Thursday and Friday, so mark your calendars now.